Hi, and welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. Today, my guests are relationship experts, Linda and Charlie Bloom. Trained as psychotherapists, they've worked with individuals, couples, groups, and organizations since 1975. In our discussion, we explored a host of issues, such as the nuances of shared finances, the importance of sexual desire within a relationship, whether you should be best friends with your partner, the importance of ritual, ways to engage in useful disagreement, tips on apologizing from the heart, and so much more. Uh, yeah, actually, our history go, with Esalen goes back um, <laughs> to 1969. That's the first time that we ever came here, and we were it was just a few months after we met, and we were doing a cross-country trip um, from Boston, which is where we were living. We had heard about Esalen. We were coming up the coast, and it, we spent the day here. <laughs> you know, for, for two East Coast people who were, you know, kids, 21, 22 years old, uh, this was literally mind blowing in 1969. <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, you know, if anybody had told either one of us then that we were going to be coming back here, not just as students, but as teachers for 25 years, I think we would have suggested that they check into the latest <laughs> facility, <laughs> get some treatment. But um, that was our first our first uh, trip cool. here, and the rest is, uh, as they say, history. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to jump right in. I, I wrote up a bunch of uh, dumb questions about relationship. You guys are the experts, so I'm going to pepper you with some some questions here. So just to, to start off, what, in your years of, of teachings, what are the biggest issues that trip people up in, in relationships, would you say? We find that differences can really chafe people. And they get so toxic with the incompletions that haven't gotten handled because they don't really know well how to negotiate for their needs and how to speak their truth without blame and judgment. So they, they rely on old family of origin patterns and didn't have models. No blame on the family of origin. They gave us the best that they could. But often they didn't see their parents working out their differences well. And so that can drag the energy down no matter how much a couple falls in love and they have a lot of things in common and values in common. If they don't find a way to work with their differences, and to see that most of their needs can be met in the relationship, it ends up being divisive. And we see a lot of people splitting up who really have a lot of potential to make it and to have a great relationship because they haven't got the skill set of managing conflict. Okay. All right. Good. Do you think you should be best friends with your partner? It's optional. Not required. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Tell me more. Well, it's tricky because um, a best friend relationship is wonderful, and and it's probably one of the best relationships that we can have in our lives. But there's no relationship that is anything close to involving the breadth and depth of what will be brought out from you in a committed partnership. And the reason for that is because there's just so much more on the line. There's so much more that that, uh, is riding on this working. There's so many more expectations we have of this person that we would never have of any other single person. And most of those expectations 
are unachievable mm-hmm. because one person cannot possibly fulfill all of the conscious and unconscious desires that we have for somebody else to come and rescue us from our lack of utter complete fulfillment and that's what we want Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean if you can be best friends with with your partner that that's great but you know we we wrote a book a few years ago called the secrets of great relationships and we interviewed a lot of couples and some of them categorized their relationship as best friends but a lot of them didn't and um they all had challenges that they had to deal with. It's like nobody gets out of this one <laughs> without having to go through some ordeal or more likely ordeals. Um, so that kind of challenged the, the idea that we had to some degree and that a lot of people have that great relationships are just kind of made in heaven. And once you get there, it's just smooth sailing for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Not okay. true. Now, are you? would you characterize each other as having a best friend relationship, or do you kind of have, you have a best friend outside of this, this primary relationship, you have a best friend? Charlie's my best friend. Yeah. And I feel especially blessed to have him as a romantic partner and a business partner and a co-parent and a best friend. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of places where we're very different and we need to do our own unique, separate thing. But to have the level of trust that we have, that we can talk about anything, that there's no taboo areas, there's no uh, no fly zones. One of the couples I worked with years ago used to call it the no fly zones with the subjects you couldn't bring up. This gives me so much peace of mind. I feel so supported. And one of my definitions of friendship, there's a number of characteristics that go into that definition, but having people who get me and who value me and who are my believing eyes, and he's my main believing eyes, that he sees my talents and my gifts, and sometimes when I'm feeling insecure or anxious or get nervous and worried about things, he's a stand for, you got this handled, don't worry about it. Mm. And I believe him because he's a no-bullshit guy. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk about sexuality. So what roles does sexuality play in a healthy relationship, would you say? I'd hesitate to say all relationships require great sexual uh, chemistry. But what I would say is that it, most of them, in most relationships, sexual connection is an important factor. And, you know, just going back to the book I made reference to these couples that we interviewed, and we interviewed some couples who were married 50, 60, almost 70 years and who were in their late 80s, and they still had what they considered to be healthy sexual relationships, some of the older people. Of course, what what they told us and, and what we've come to see is that sexual connection can change depending upon how the body changes and you know the limitations of the body as it ages the the uh, difference in responsiveness levels that change but having a, a strong sexual sensual physical connection wouldn't limit it to just intercourse i'm talking about um you know the interplay uh of our bodies uh very very 
important. And um, I would really encourage people who sometimes wonder whether you can outgrow that or whether there's a point beyond which it's just no longer in play, that if there's a desire, if there's a willingness, if there isn't gross physical limitation, that it's possible, you know, well into your old over years to enjoy enjoy that but it may take flexibility it may take doing some work around some of the changes that we go through and i'd say that the biggest factor that gets in people's way of having a healthy fulfilling sexual connection is what we refer to as incompletions and that is the unfinished business that we haven't dealt with because we've put it under the rug, we haven't wanted to argue, we haven't wanted to go there, that is a big issue that can affect, and for many couples does affect, yeah. sexual desire. So what about this incompleteness? What are some kind of tips for speaking about things that are quite difficult to speak about that you want to avoid? How can we get into that? Thank you for asking, because it's such a crucial bottom line issue to not dance around the edges of the important issues that need to be addressed. And the most important <clears throat> thing is to honor that part of us that's complaining. Do you know, I think complaints are highly underrated. The complaint is the entry point to the vision of what it is that we're committed to. So you may need to spare your partner your complaint and just listen in on it yourself and then see what it is that that is indicating to you of what's not working. And to get agreement from your partner that they want your honest feedback about what's great and glorious and wondrous and delightful in the relationship and what's off the mark so that we can improve that. We call it going for the gold. Do you know, so many couples settle for so much less than is available. And, you know, compared to sometimes what their parents had, this is really making it, you know, nobody's drug addicted or alcohol addicted. There's not verbal abuse and physical abuse or emotional abuse. And so their standards aren't very high. They think, you know, we've got comfort and security here. We're cordial to each other, but they're not going to the highest reaches. If you want to go for the gold and you want to have the best that relationship can be, you have to have some risky talks okay. yeah. and you have to bring up the tough subjects in a responsible way. Yeah. I call it the sandwich. So on the one hand, you acknowledge some of the things that are wonderful about the relationship. And I really want us to have honesty, openness to reveal rather than conceal. And this isn't quite working for me. That's responsible. It's not you're doing it wrong, you're bad, you know, shame on you. None of that flavor. And then appeal to their enlightened self-interest. There's a lot in it for you if we work together on this. How might we collaborate so that we have the most joy, the most creativity, the most in, uh, pleasure in our life, you know, and we may have to take the descent first and go into some dark places first before we can go into the enlightenment zone. Right. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I love it. Great. 
How about, are there any weekly rituals that you'd recommend for couples? Yeah, why don't you take that? I'm all about in. rituals. Okay. And couples need to work out whatever it is that works for them. Um, there's a fair amount of research about the husbands who kiss their wife goodbye every morning before they go to work make a hell of a lot more money than the men who don't. I love that piece of wow. research. I love it. Yeah. And, you know, a simple little thing that just takes a few seconds can get you off on a good start in your day. Mm-hmm. Do you know that's validating to her that she's prized and valued, not taken for granted, and it's a validation for him. I'm a good husband. I'm generous of spirit. I dig my wife, and she knows it, and I'm going into the challenges of my work day with a full soul tank. So we have a morning ritual where we do a cuddling meditation, and we do it almost every single day, and it's been a part of our life for years. And sometimes it's still dark, you know, in the winter, and before we get out of bed, it's still dark, I'm already having a great day. You know, I say, come on, come on, life, I'm ready for you now. And that's because we're connected and we're really hooked up. And we kiss goodnight every night, Mm -hmm. too. And we cuddle some more because I'm totally touchaholic. But every couple needs to work out what these are. Mm -hmm. Maybe they walk the dog together. We have friends who have golden retrievers. And when they walk the dog, they stop and they touch foreheads to each other. We have Mm -hmm. friends who pray. Do you know they pray together? We, we know people who do yoga every morning. They have a meditation practice and a yoga practice. They do their own poses, but then they, they embrace at the end. So I think that it's a real boon to a relationship to have those, those little things that just light you up. That's powerful. That's really great. Mm-hmm. Do you think a couple's finances should be together or separate? Again, uh, you know, Sam, this is so dependent upon the predispositions of, of the partners. More often than not, what we have found in relationships is that people have some very strong, clear differences in their predispositions in terms of, even in terms of certain values. One person might be a saver, one person might be a spender, one person might be an introvert, my person, one, the other one is more likely to be an extrovert. So, so there's this phenomenon called complementarities in which we complement each other. We kind of fill in the, the, the spaces that the other person doesn't have because they're leaning towards one side or the other. So, you know, in terms of blending your finances or keeping them separate, most, most people are going to probably have to deal with some different points of view. And the challenge is always the same thing, whether you both are on the same page. If you're both on the same page, it's easier, obviously. Okay. But if you're, if you're not, then something has to be worked out. Although a, a lot of people refer to this result as a compromise, we don't really care for that term because generally compromise suggests that neither person is really getting exactly what they want. Now, that's probably going to be the case in a lot of situations anyway, that, you know, you're 
probably not going to get 100% of what you want if the other person is on the other end of the spectrum. So we do have to learn how to, how to work with these differences, how to come up with something that works. Because in, in the example that you gave about whether we, we blend it or keep it separate, that's not something that can remain unresolved. You know, because if it does, somebody's going to be unhappy because you have a system, you know, right now. Right. And is this the real question is, is this working for yes. you? And, is, you know, if it's working for one person but not the other one, guess what? It's not working. Because in a committed partnership, both people have to be adequately sa satisfied mm -hmm. with the arrangement that they have co-created. It doesn't mean that they're both going to be ecstatic about it, but but you've got to be able to live at least live with this in a way that you're not feeling an accumulation of resentment. So obviously, apologies are crucial for relationships. Do you have tips on being a good or useful apologizer? Absolutely. To do a thorough apology. You have to be with yourself first before you offer it. Don't be so fast. Really get into the sincerity. And what's even more important than I'm sorry is what I've learned from this breakdown that will empower me going forward to not cause harm mm. in the future. Mm. And the piece that sometimes people... Um, are in too much of a hurry to try to get it handled because they feel guilty or they're afraid that the other person's going to retaliate in some way, you have to sense whether the other person is still too hurt that they're not open to receiving you. Mm -hmm. You have to be empathic and let them have their hurt for a while and not try to, you know, shove past it, that to rebuild the trust takes some uh, finesse in the timing and to actually ask, I'm ready to really offer an apology, a sincere apology, and to let you know how much I really regret that I caused harm and what I learned going forward, are you ready to receive me? This almost makes me want to open up the question a little bit more broadly and ask you, how do you have a useful disagreement? How can you have a, a fight that actually, what, what are some ways to engage in a disagree, disagreement that can, can lead to more connection later? That's a beautiful question. And it's one that every couple really needs to get clear about. Like, what does it really require and, and it's not a generic answer, because every situation is unique. But what what does it require in this in this circumstance for us to get complete with this situation? Mm -hmm. What do you need in order to feel that, that that we have come to terms with this sufficiently? What do I need from you? What do I need to have happen here? So those are incredibly important questions, and unfortunately, they're not asked frequently enough. You know, because what's happened when there is a breakdown, as you referred to, um, is, is that we're kind of possessed by the the, the uh, primitive part of the brain. Yeah. And we go into survival, we go into defensiveness, and we're not thinking. We're not thinking in terms of, okay, slow down, take a breath. What is it that I need to have happen here so I can kind of cool down? Because right now I'm literally not thinking straight. Yeah. And neither are you. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to tell you that because that's only going to make things worse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
The first thing that has to happen is we've both got to quiet down our, you know, raging mind, which is being driven by fear right now. It might seem like I'm possessed by anger, and I might be, but underneath that, there's fear. So I've got to cool down enough to be able to think straight. And that means, um, you know, I, I, I need, that's an inside job. I need to do something or say something that's going to help me to do that. So one thing that I, uh, th that we always encourage people to do when they're in that, the first step is to tell the truth. You know, like right now, I can't even, I haven't heard a word that you said over the last five minutes because mm -hmm. I'm so busy, you know, making you wrong and feeling hurt and, and uh, you know, judged. And I'm just so much in reality. I haven't even heard what you said. So um, tell the truth. You know, we are in a breakdown now. So to acknowledge that. And, and when... When both people can acknowledge that we have a problem, not you are an idiot, or you're wrong, <laughs> or you're sort of, or it's your fault. No, the the operative word is always we. Okay. We have a breakdown, mm -hmm. and we have to do something about it because I am not willing to continue to live in this negative space that we've got. Now, you all have been together for 50 years. Yeah. Have you gotten better at this art of useful disagreement? We're... You should have seen us 49 years ago. champs now. <laughs> but years ago, we almost lost our relationship. We came a hair away More than from the separation and More divorce statistics. Yeah. Primarily because we were a couple of hotheads. Mm -hmm. And we're both firstborn, and we both think we're right, and, you know, we would rush for who was the bigger victim, and we <laughs> had all manner of okay. unskillful means of blame and accusation. Especially you. And, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> making the other person wrong. And, Did you, you know, have, have similar wounding, like similar patterns around? I, we had complementary Mine patterns, was so. more about being neglected and not really having my voice honored and not being valued. He had more stuff about being controlled and I had more stuff about being neglected. But we're good students. It's a signature strength of both of us that we're hungry learners. Mm -hmm. So we paid attention to all the various creative ways that we made our life and the other person's life hell. And there was always a good, solid love there, but there was a lot of static because we had broken down communication about our differences. So it's ended up this wound becoming a gift to our community, to our students, but to our But between clients. the time that it was, it was a years. wound, there would be, yeah, in, during that years. time, during those years, it wasn't pretty. We thought... We all night sometimes. Well, all night. We, weren't, we, weren't, we were strong and healthy and young. We weren't then. getting any good help. And, and that's what is really key. When you hit those places that, you know, you just, not only can you not get through this, but your efforts are making it worse. Yeah, you need to somebody you. to come in and say, whoa, mm -hmm. time out here. Uh -huh. Here's what I can see that you guys can't see because it's in your face. And for quite a while... We didn't have that, so we just kept spinning our wheels going around, and this is what a lot of couples do, because they don't tell the truth to themselves and each other un uh, until they've been in the soup, literally. Years. Yeah. Do you know the average amount of time that a couple spends for, between the time that they experience breakdown and the time that they go in for help when they can't do anything about it is six years. 
And, and it's that not, breaks my heart. That statistic. Things are deteriorating over those six years. Wow. It's How not like pain tolerant just, people are. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So that's one of the big things: is know when to get help, mm-hmm. and be willing to get it. It is not a sign of weakness. Yeah. Well, I do think that a lot of couples they don't want to go get the get yeah. a counselor because they feel like, well, there's something wrong in our relationship. Yeah. And if we don't get help, then that proves that we're 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 fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a, a cultural <laughs> overlay. Because we're blessed to be able to teach in other countries that don't have it as strong as we have it in the States about the independence, that there's something uh, like disgusting, do you know, about asking for help, that there's something bad and wrong to say, I'm confused, I'm mixed up, we're, we're suffering here, we don't know how to get out of this. And so it's, it's very important not to go that effect of the prevailing drift that we ought to be able to figure out everything ourselves and worship independence. Because this is one of the hardest things we do in life is to create a loving partnership. No wonder it's confusing and difficult. You know, we need some some people in the graduating classes ahead of us to give us some guidance. Totally. (laughs) How much should you share about past relationships? Same answer to the other questions. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to avoid it, uh, but it really does depend. You know, for instance, some people are big sharers and they really want to know, you know, about everything. Full disclosure. Full disclosure, total. And other people, I mean, that's Linda. You know, she's she's like that. I'm not. They're usually with people who are more private. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I have learned to become less uncomfortable, a little more comfortable with revealing more. Uh, I'm revealing much more with Linda. And I'm grateful. Than I, than I really? had before, mm-hmm. than, I, than I would have if I was with somebody who were more, was more like me. Mm-hmm. And I've learned to not only, I can do it, but I really appreciate it because it's really enriched my life too. It's not just for, for her benefit. And you've learned to be... Appreciate privacy. Okay. Appreciative of and you solitude. don't know everything about me. Mm-hmm. You don't. Know, you know most, but not yeah. everything. And mm-hmm. I like to keep a little mystery. Keeps a little, little yeah. zing yeah. in there. Yeah, but it is one of those things where the couple, if they're not on the same page with it, and you know, some couples, they're on the same page with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. We just happen to be on very different pages on a lot of different things. And I would never conceal <laughs> anything that could jeopardize our relationship. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of the criteria. That's the bottom line is that are you holding, are you keeping a secret, which means there's an intent to withhold information that's relevant to the relationship that really is dishonest to, to not reveal? Um, or are you simply honoring your right to privacy? Mm-hmm. Privacy is one thing. Secrecy, Secrecy is different. Is different. Oh, and so we try to help people to make that distinction. Yeah. What's the dumbest thing you used to do in relationship with one another that you no longer do, that over the years you kind of learned that this is, this is not adaptive? Blame. Tell me about it. I come from a lineage of long-suffering martyr women who sucked it up a lot and didn't assert themselves. And it took me years to be willing to be guilty of the sin of outdoing the women in my lineage. 
and to be able to speak up in my own behalf in a responsible, respectful way without blame. Mm. And when I think back to how much trouble I caused for myself and for us in the early days because I didn't know this essential piece. You know, it's, it's 101 to us now. We're very careful about the way we speak with each other. We're very responsible about the way in which we bring a complaint. We are also proactive about offering what would work, not just complaining, mm-hmm. but we're part of the yeah. solution. Okay. Uh-huh. So we're, we're offering, and, and this w- would be helpful to me, this would mean a lot to me, so that there isn't the kind of accusation and blame mm-hmm. and pushback. Do you know, defensiveness, yeah. reactivity that we, we lived in on and off really literally for years. And our relationship was arrested at a a lower level of development. As soon as we were able to get a grip on this, which was a piece of work, it jumped up in the well-being department. Can I ask you about the language that you might use when you're bringing a complaint to to Charlie that you want him to be able to hear? Mm -hmm. How do you phrase that? I have a concern or I'm feeling uncomfortable with, or I'm anxious about. So the emphasis is on me and what I'm feeling and what I'm needing, which is vulnerable. Do you know, it's always kind of risky. And people don't realize how much trouble they make for themselves when it's about the other person about what they're doing or not doing or saying or not saying, because you're already in trouble. Even if you didn't say the word you, we're even thinking you, you're already not off on a good foot. So if you can stay with your own experience, particularly if you're irritated, angry, resentful, or a rage, and there's always deeper, tender feelings under it, it's always fear Mm -hmm. or pain or both. And people sometimes are so preoccupied with the anger because it's so big and it's so hot and it's so prevalent that they're not aware of the tender feelings. And that's a riskier conversation, but that invites connection. That invites listening and cooperation and collaboration. And the accusation and blame pushes people away. Even if there's some truth in it that they know they need to hear, yeah. it's off-putting. You can't help but when somebody kicks you, you want to kick them back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So to be able to be mindful, to be self-disciplined, to have that pause and reflect, to put um, thinking between feeling and speaking or thinking between feeling and action, and that pause and reflect makes all the difference because when you t- slow down, you have more options. You can think about what the skillful means are, and you can skip the aggravating part. Okay. How about you, Charlie? What's something that you used to do in relationship that you feel like you've kind of like shifted and changed? Um, we grew up in different kinds of families. Um, Linda was an only child for the first 14 years of her life, so that was very different. I grew up in a family with four kids. I was the oldest, and. Um, her, her family had kind of guidelines about uh, children should be seen and not heard, and there was she kind of was muzzled for a lot of her life uh, growing up. I, on the other hand, my 
my family was very everybody was outspoken it was like a competition who could who could be the most aggressive and the most assertive and who could speak the loudest and and you know and they all talked at the same time yeah i mean that's just the way it was and i don't even come from new york where you, where you come from? <laughs> i come from boston okay. <laughs> uh, but that's that's the way it was and so i was predisposed to be more outspoken, because that's what my history was when we met. And one of the things that I learned to do is because um, I also had a mindset that um, you're either controlled or you are controlling, like polarity, one or the other. And I was not going to be controlled, particularly by a woman. So um, I used my tendency towards being pushy and aggressive and not vulnerable to intimidate Linda. And I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that, but for the first several years of our relationship, I saw how she would cringe in response. And, and in my mind, I go, okay, you know, so she's, I've kind of diffused her as a threat. I still feel some shame about having done that, but I've pretty much forgiven myself, and I know she's forgiven me too. But, you know, also for selfish reasons, I, I regret having done it because I, I have come to see that the price that our relationship mm. paid for me, quote, winning those arguments was uh, that there was buried resentment, there was fear, there was distance, there was uh, intimacy was compromised and diminished. And, um, and, uh, and I ended up feeling very bad, you know, about when I, when I came to realize what I'd been doing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really got committed to, I can't do this anymore. Um, thank you for that. Yeah, that's really um, cool and interesting to hear about these changes in relationship. Um, one more question about the disagreements. Is it okay to go to bed angry? What do you think? I think it's important to have a little bit of affection and some sweet touch or words to be able to get a decent night's sleep and resume in the morning if your fatigue is so strong that you won't be able to do your best in dealing with the issue. So of course it's better if you can deal with it before you go to sleep. And sometimes you just can't because the issue is just too gnarly and you're too fatigued. And either mm -hmm. one of you can say, I'm just not up to it right now, but I promise at the first possible moment we'll resume. Mm -hmm. And back when we used to pull those all-nighters fighting until dawn, um, we believed that you, you were irresponsible if you stopped the interaction. And we could have saved ourselves trouble, and we did finally when we agreed just just be friendly to me, warm enough so that I can get some sleep. And we're going to pick this up when we bring our best self to this negotiation. So I think you can't be too rigid about you have to finish it before you go to sleep because that could take you right to hell. I wanted to add something about Charlie when he was back in his brutish, aggressive days. There was a fair amount of pain and suffering there. But when I didn't stand up to him, I helped create the monster. Yeah. 
And I will take responsibility for the awful cycle that we were in for way too long. And I have some gratitude now that it called forth the warrior in me Mm -hmm. to become a worthy opponent and not lay down and not cave in and not give up and not suck it up. Do you know? And I feel like I redeemed the women the lineage and my my women lineage that because of whatever reasons they felt like they didn't have permission to do that mm-hmm. because of where the culture was at the time. But I was born into a time where I could. I had a degree and I had a career and I had my own money and I didn't have to stay with somebody who wasn't going to be kind to me. And by God, I was going to learn how to speak in my own behalf. And when I started to grow some strength and some backbone and say, it's not okay for you to talk to me like that. And you can't call me names. The pet name that he had for me back in the day when we were at our very low point, this was decades ago. He used to call me bottomless pit. And I used to go at effect of that and think, oh, I am too needy. I am insecure. I want too much. And I had to be with that for a while. And I said, hell no. I have needs for connection. I'm a connector. That's who I am. And it's okay to have these. And when I would speak in my own behalf, some on a good day I would speak politely and responsibly. Uh, some days it wasn't as skillful, and I'd say, what the hell's the matter with you? Why aren't you a monk? Um, but on a good day, I would speak in my own behalf, and I'd say, you know, you really can't pull that one on me anymore. My needs for connection are reasonable. They're not unreasonable. I'm not excessively, pathologically dependent. I just want to connect to you. I dig you. I'm into you. I want to share with you. I don't want you to live your life so separate from me. Mm-hmm. And when I could feel good about myself and who I was, then I could stand up for myself. And when I started to own my warrior, and I'm grateful that he taught me to fight. I didn't know how to fight. That when I became a worthy opponent, then he stopped being the bully jerk that he used to be back in the day. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that kind of brings me to how do you get unstuck from entrenched relationship patterns? Mm -hmm. Well, like I said earlier, the first thing you do is you tell the truth. We're stuck. Because we've been trying, we've been going around this loop for a long time. We've been down this rabbit hole a long time. We need to do something about it because it ain't getting any better. I hate it. I hate us being here. I hate us not being close. I hate us feeling this undercurrent of, of fear and resentment all the time. So one person, you know, has got to take that step and tell the truth. Mm. And generally, the other person will say, yeah, I know. Yeah, but what are we going to do about it, you know? And, of course, the optimal word is always we. You know, we created this problem here. We we have to do something about it because we don't, neither one of us wants to continue this way. And we're from the school of thought that there should be an agreement in place. Yeah. That if either people, either one of the couple thinks that you, it's time to get some counseling, because we've done 
our best and we need another set of eyes on this, that you go, no questions asked. Either one this has is, the privilege to do this. This is a really this. important agreement that either person at any point has the power to say, we need to get some help now because we've done the best that we can and it ain't happening. And so we we have to see somebody. And if that agreement is in place and the other person doesn't get to argue, it's like, okay, so let's get on the phone or let's, you know, find somebody because, you know, we've got to break out of this cycle. We're in a vicious cycle. Our efforts are really taking us deeper into it. We've got to get another set of eyes in there, somebody that you can both trust not to tell you what to do. We don't go for that kind of therapy, um, but to really help you to see what you're blind to, to help you to see options, to help you to see strategies, to help you to see practices, to help you to see possibilities that you cannot see when you're in the middle of the soup. You just can't. And, and, and it's not a deficiency. It's just that's where we go when we get into yeah. these places. Yeah. And Esalen's full of workshops that help people get unstuck every day. Yeah, yeah. There's resources out, out there. But first of all, we gotta, we got to tell the truth. We need some help here. Okay. Yeah. yeah, just curious. I mean, you guys, it seems from what you said, you came within uh, a hair of getting divorced. So what, you what would your advice be to, and now you have a wonderful relationship, it, it appears. Um, what would your advice be to couples who, who are considering divorce? Would you give them any sort of um, thoughts or affirmations around the possibility of salvaging, or what, what would you say? There are possibilities that they have not seen yet, and to not give up until you have left no stones unturned, until you have exhausted the possibilities. Most of the people who get divorced haven't even had one marriage counseling session. Really? They haven't gone to a workshop. They haven't seen their clergy. They often haven't spoken to any family member who may be wise about relationships. And the friends that they have spoken to have only heard their side of Take the story. Take their side yeah. and so they're reinforce, getting a distorted feedback. reinforce their idea <laughs> that they're being victimized by the, the other person. And if you can open up your mind to the possibility that you haven't exhausted all of the avenues that are available to you and to give yourself a chance, even if you've gone to a marriage counselor, perhaps they haven't tuned into the core issue that you're struggling with. So you, we have sometimes people come to us who've seen two, three, four, five marriage counselors before they see us. We have kind of a reputation of being the last ditch, but often if you get the right help, the right workshop, read the right book, or, you know, get the right counselor, and we do intensives where we spend a day or two with people, so you really d drill down to the core issues, possibilities open up that people didn't see before. They check themselves out and see how they're getting in their own way. They see how their overtures to the other person have come across as demands or commands or threats or ultimatums rather than requests. This is what I think would really help us. Would you be willing to experiment with this? I want to, I want to just add a caveat to this. I, I don't want the listeners to get the idea that we're saying all relationships no. can and should be saved. Right. Because that is not true. 
sometimes the very best, most responsible decision that you can make is to is to end the relationship as it currently exists, which doesn't mean that you can't create a new relationship mm -hmm. out of that. But before you can have a new relationship, sometimes this one's got to be terminated. This one has to be completed yeah. in some way because, you know, it, it's no longer functional. And you can't go from um, a dysfunctional relationship to a functional relationship. You've got to go from a dysfunctional relationship to no relationship and be in that space and really use that time to really do some work with yourself to find out what was it that was driving me? What is it that I have needed to learn from this experience so that I, God help me, don't ever repeat this again? Because, you know, you can take responsibility for having participated in this in a way that did play a part. Yeah. You've got to take that level of responsibility. But sometimes no matter what you do, the ultimate responsible decision is just to call it that's it right. And, and it's not necessarily a failure. Some of the people in our, in our second book who have had great marriages for over 30 years, this is not their first marriage. Sometimes yeah. mm -hmm. it's their second one. Right. The first one was like their training marriage. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they learned some things. Mm -hmm. So it's not, a, it's not a failure. It's not a defeat. If you leave the relationship feeling like you've, you've done, done everything, everything you, can. you can do. Because yeah. people give up best. too early. Sometimes it's the most loving thing you can do for yourself and the other person to let go and f free yourself and free them so that they could find somebody who is really a better match for them. Because there really are some mismatched pairs. A lot of couples get together. They're so young and don't know who they are and where they're going that they're, they're a mismatched pair. Or sometimes people get together when they're young and then they grow and they grow so apart that they become mismatched. But we see people more often who have vast potential, but they don't have the skill set down. And it's so easy to just, well, it gets hard and go back on the dating sites and I've got <laughs> hundreds of options again. And, you know, we're, yeah. we're from the belief about stronger at the broken places that you learn so much out of the aggravation. Do you know you learn so much out of the differences? You learn about yourself and you develop the qualities that you need to, to self-actualize. In, in the dynamic, sometimes a cauldron, of the relationship. That's what grows you. Yeah. Don't give up too soon. So Linda and Charlie Bloom, how can our listeners find out more about your work? They can always find us through Esalen. Esalen knows always where to get us. If they can remember either Linda Bloom, Charlie Bloom, or Bloom Work is our website. And we got all kind of free stuff on our website. If people come to Bloom Work, there's a place you can click. You get three free books, e-books, one on sex, one on the end of arguing, and there's the 10 most important things we wish we knew when we got married. And that's out of our first book, which is 101 Things. We narrowed it down to 10 to make it really user-friendly for people. We also have lots of um, Facebook Lives and YouTube videos, and they can see when we're teaching here and elsewhere. 
and uh, it mentions our intensives, which is a workshop. Some couples don't want to uh, have other people. They're very private. They don't want them to know what their issues are. And some people don't have the patience to share the, <laughs> the stage with other couples, and they want just our individualized attention. So we'll do a one or two day workshop that's tailored just for their needs. That's great. Well, this is a couple that we can really learn from. Linda and Charlie Bloom, thank you so much for joining us today on Voices of Esalen. Mm, thank Had you, a good Sam. time. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Cheryl Franzel, Geraldine Hess, Lori Putnam, Shannon Hudson, and Ian Golden. Our music is by Nico Holloman. If you'd like to hear more episodes, please find us on iTunes. And if you like what you're hearing, take a second to subscribe, rate us, and review. You can also find all of our episodes at our website, eslen.org. That's E-S-A-L-E-N.org. The Eslen Institute is a nonprofit organization. Programs like this one are made possible by the support of our donors. Thank you so much for your contributions to our world.